Good afternoon. This is Resonance 104.4 FM. My name is Frank Key and this is Hooting Yard on the Air. Just as I was preparing for today's show, I received an email from listener Jonathan Colclough. Well, actually, Jonathan just forwarded an email that he'd received. He forwarded it to me. Um, And he added a note. The subject line of the email below promised so much, but of course it was just spam. Sigh. The subject line of the um, email that he forwarded was Dobson and Longevity. And indeed, what followed was twaddle. I wrote back to Jonathan as follows. I find it disconcerting that Dobson is haunting the less salubrious corners of the worldwide interweb, Ian from beyond the grave. That, and longevity, seems to be trying to tell us something, something almost Lovecraftian and spooky. I may have to investigate. Of course, I haven't yet had time to make a full investigation, to send agents from haemoglobin towers fanning out across the globe with their ponderous briefcases, beaver fur headgear, badger badges and piercing eyesight. But what I have been able to do is to give the matter some deep thought. Could it really be true that the out-of-print pamphleteer cheated death? That beneath the funeral shroud... That uncanny yellow festoonment cut from a bolt of cheap tarpaulin from a chandlery in the brine-soaked hellhole of O'Houlihan's Wharf, a tarp stitched with cack-handed embroidery of piddocks and teredos and winkles and periwinkles and strombuses and whelks and loligos, that wrapped in it was not the dead Dobson, but an imposter or simulacrum? If so, if Dobson lived, where was he? He would be impossibly old by now, creaking and crumbling. Was he trudging along alien pathways, anonymous, in some distant land, his eyes, one beady, the other milky, fixed straight ahead, an undead dead man plodding ever forward towards he knew not what? We had all thought our dear pamphleteer a wisp, a fume borne upon the luminiferous ether, the spindly frame he once inhabited, discarded, hurled enwrapped in its hideous tarpaulin from the worm-eaten jetty outside O'Houlihan's Wharf post office into the boiling sea. Dobson and longevity indeed. But perhaps, ill-tempered and hateful, he skulked in a booth somewhere in the outskirts, feeding on biscuits and berries and birds plucked in mid-flight from the air, sucking drops of rainwater from the toggles of his duffel coat. Wherever he was, the undead Dobson remained invisible to all who had known him. Yet he somehow had the ability to seed the worldwide interweb with texts that none would ever read. Was he making some skewed commentary upon all those unread out-of-print pamphlets that poured out of him during the years before that thunder-racked gathering in the bracken and bindweed-choked churchyard of St Bibbly-Dib-Dibs when bells clanged lamentations and salt tears ran down the cheeks of even the most grizzled countenance? Where was Dobson then? Did he scuttle from beneath the shroud when backs were turned? 
were there conspirators who replaced him with an effigy of felt and excelsior and cardboard and rags. Who could such conspirators have been? Certainly Marigold Chu cannot have been among them, for who would ever question the bleak desolation with which she sported her widow's weeds? If there's anyone to point a finger at, it would be Ned Blewett. Dobson had not known this urchin for long. As far as we know, the two met just an hour or so before Dobson's death, or his alleged death, as we must now refer to it. Dobson had left the house to buy a new picnic hamper, for it's a little-known fact that he was fond of extravagant picnicking occasions and much given to hauling a hamper stuffed to the brim with cake and pomegranates and Limburger cheese and pre-sliced slices of pemmican and Brazil nuts and more Brazil nuts and even more Brazil nuts and parsley and treacle pies and mashed potato and suet puddings up punishing slopes and down inclines into declivities in the hills where bats are legion and no other human being has ever trod. There Dobson would unpack his hamper and scoff his food unobserved, one of his own out-of-print pamphlets propped open with a stick, chewing and reading and impervious to the wind and the drizzle. Such excursions battered the ageing Dobson as much as they battered his hamper, but a picnic hamper can be replaced. And so it was on that March morning that Dobson pulled on his Belgian cadet boots and his souvenir cardigan from the Ayn Rand exposition at Jakarta and strode off towards the picnic supplies boutique at the perimeter of old farmer Frack's fields on that patch of scrubland beyond Blister Lane. Next to the boutique was a kiosk operated by the Holy Sisters of Headaches and Dismay, an order of nuns who dispensed bowls of soup to passing mendicants. As Dobson made his tottering progress towards picnickery, he was buttonholed by one of the sisters. No, hang on, I've got the wrong day, sorry. The kiosk was gone by then, obliterated by livid purple death rays from a spaceship caught in a pocket of error in the continuum. I mean the space-time continuum, I think. Anyway, where the soup kiosk once stood, there was now a tent, pitched there by the mighty Alfonso, a roguish refugee from many a penny circus, who promised to astonish and astound the crowds with feats of leisure demand and prestidigitation, accompanied by his assistant, little Alfonso the memory man. But there were no crowds that day, only Dobson, who hurried in through the tent flaps to avoid an encounter with one of his creditors, it doesn't matter which one, who was lurking outside the picnic boutique, hoping to waylay the pamphleteer. Inside, in the gloom, he came upon little Alfonso the memory man, rehearsing his latest showstopper, a recitation of a historical glossary of diseases. Peering over his shoulder to ensure that he had not been followed, Dobson slumped into a pew, one of many pews stolen from a cathedral by the ever-resourceful mighty Alfonso, and hearkened to the words of the diminutive urchin as he learned his lines. Abscess, a localised collection of pus buried in tissues, organs or confined spaces of the body, read little Alfonso. 
often accompanied by swelling and inflammation and frequently caused by bacteria. See boil. Addison's disease, a disease characterised by severe weakness, low blood pressure and a bronzed coloration of the skin due to decreased secretion of cortisol from the adrenal gland. Synonyms, morbus addisoni, bronzed skin disease. Ague, malarial or intermittent fever characterised by paroxysms, stages of chills, fever and sweating at regularly recurring times, and followed by an interval or intermission of varying duration. Popularly, the disease was known as fever and ague, chill fever, the shakes, and by names expressive of the locality in which it was prevalent, such as swamp fever or Panama fever. Ague cake, a form of enlargement of the spleen resulting from the action of malaria on the system. Anasaka, generalised massive dropsy, apoplexy, paralysis due to stroke. Aphthi, see thrush. Aphthus stomatitis, see canker. Ascitis, see dropsy. Asthenia, see debility. Bilious fever, a term loosely applied to certain intestinal and malarial fevers. Biliousness, a complex of symptoms comprising nausea, abdominal discomfort, headache and constipation, formerly attributed to excessive secretion of bile from the liver. Boil, an abscess of skin or painful inflammation of the skin or a hair follicle, usually caused by a staphylococcal infection. Synonym, furuncle. Brain fever, see typhus. Bronchial asthma, a disorder of breathing characterised by spasm of the bronchial tubes of the lungs, wheezing and difficulty in breathing air outward, often accompanied by coughing <coughs> and a feeling of tightness in the chest. Camp fever, see typhus. Cancrum otis, a severe destructive eroding ulcer of the cheek and lip. In the last century but one, it was seen in delicate, ill-fed, ill-tended children between the ages of two and five years. The disease was the result of poor hygiene. It was often fatal. The disease could, in a few days, lead to gangrene of the lips, cheeks, tonsils, palate, tongue and even half the face. Teeth would fall from their sockets. Synonyms. Canker, water canker, noma, gangrenous stomatitis, gangrenous ulceration of the mouth, also known as canker. Catalepsy, seizures, trances. Catar, inflammation of a mucous membrane, especially of the air passages of the head and throat with a free discharge. Bronchial catar was bronchitis. Suffocative catar was croup. Urethral catar was gleet. Vaginal catar was leucorrhea. Epidemic catar was the same as influenza. Synonyms, cold. Chlorosis, iron deficiency. Cholera infantum, a common non-contagious diarrhoea of young children occurring in summer or autumn. It was common among the poor and in hand-fed babies. Death frequently occurred in three to five days. Synonyms, summer complaint, weaning brash, water gripes, choleric fever of children, cholera morbus. 
chorea, any of several diseases of the nervous system characterised by jerky movements that appear to be well coordinated but are performed involuntarily, chiefly of the face and extremities. Convulsions, severe contortion of the body caused by a violent, involuntary muscular contractions of the extremities, trunk and head. Croup, any obstructive condition of the larynx or trachea characterised by a hoarse barking cough and difficulty breathing, occurring chiefly in infants and children. In the early 19th century it was called sinanche trachealis. The crouping noise was similar to the sound emitted by a chicken affected with the pip, which in some parts of Scotland was called roop, hence probably the term croup. Debility. Abnormal bodily weakness or feebleness. Decay of strength. This was a term descriptive of a patient's condition and of no help in making a diagnosis. Dropsy. A contraction for hydropsy, the presence of abnormally large amounts of fluid, congestive heart failure. Effluvia, exhalations. In the mid-19th century, they were called vapours and distinguished into the contagious effluvia, such as rubiola, measles, marsh effluvia, such as miasmata. Epilepsy, a disorder of the nervous system characterised either by mild episodic loss of attention or sleepiness or by severe convulsions with loss of consciousness. Synonyms, falling sickness, fits. Erysipelas, an disease, synonyms, rose, St Anthony's fire from its burning heat or perhaps because St Anthony was supposed to cure it miraculously. Fatty liver, cirrhosis. Flux, see dysentery. Furuncle, see boil. Gangrene, death and decay of tissue in a part of the body, usually a limb due to injury, disease or failure of blood supply. Gleet, see catarrh. Gravel, a disease characterised by small stones which are formed in the kidneys, passed along the ureters to the bladder and expelled with the urine. Grip, an old term for influenza. Hectic fever, a daily recurring fever with profound sweating, chills and flushed appearance, often associated with pulmon pulmonary tuberculosis or septic poisoning. Hives, a skin eruption of smooth, slightly elevated areas on the skin which is redder or paler than the surrounding skin, often attended by severe itching. 
Hospital fever, see typhus. Hydrocephalus, see dropsy. Icterus, see jaundice. Inanition, exhaustion from lack of nourishment. Infection. In the early part of the last century but one, infections were thought to be the propagation of disease by effluvia from patients crowded together. Miasms were believed to be substances which could not be seen in any form, emanations not apparent to the senses. Such miasms were understood to act by infection. Inflammation. Redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, heat and disturbed function of an area of the body. In the last century but one, cause of death often was listed as inflammation of a body organ, such as brain or lung, but this was purely a descriptive term and is not helpful in identifying the actual underlying disease. Jaundice. Yellow discoloration of the skin, whites of the eyes and mucous membranes due to an increase of bile pigments in the blood. King's evil. A popular name for scrofula. The name originated in the time of Edward the Confessor with the belief that the disease could be cured by the touch of the king. Lockjaw. Tetanus. A disease in which the jaws become firmly locked together. Lung fever, pneumonia. Lung sickness, tuberculosis. Malignant fever, see typhus. Marasmus, malnutrition occurring in infants and young children caused by an insufficient intake of calories or protein. Meningitis, inflammation of the meninges characterised by high fever, severe headache and stiff neck or back muscles. Synonym, brain fever. Milk sick. Poisoning resulting from the drinking of milk produced by a cow which had eaten a plant known as white snake root. Mormal. Gangrene. Neuralgia. Sharpened paroxysmal pain along the course of a sensory nerve. Paristhmitis. See quinsy. Petechial fever. See typhus. Pthysis. See consumption. Pleurisy, inflammation of the pleura, the lining of the chest cavity. Symptoms are chills, fever, dry cough and pain in the affected side. Pneumonia, inflammation of the lungs. Podagra, gout. Pott's disease, tuberculosis of the spinal vertebrae. Putrid fever, see typhus. Putrid sore throat. Ulceration of an acute form attacking the tonsils. Pyrexia, see dysentery. Quinsy, an acute inflammation of the tonsils, often leading to an abscess. Synonyms, suppurative tonsillitis, synange tonsillaris, paristhmitis, sore throat. Scarlatina, scarlet fever, a contagious disease. Scrofula. Primary tuberculosis of the lymphatic glands, especially those in the neck, a disease of children and young adults. Septic means infected, a condition of local or generalised invasion of the body by disease-causing germs. Ship fever, see typhus. Softening of the brain, cerebral haemorrhage. Spotted fever, see typhus. Summer complaint, 
See cholera in phantom. Suppuration, the production of pus. Trismus nascentium or neonatorum, a form of tetanus seen only in infants, almost invariably in the first five days of life. Typhoid fever, an infectious, often fatal disease, usually occurring in the summer months, characterised by intestinal inflammation and ulceration. The name came from the disease's similarity to typhus, synonym enteric fever. Typhus, an acute infectious disease transmitted by lice and fleas. The epidemic or classic form is louse-borne. The endemic or murine is flea-borne. Synonyms, typhus fever, malignant fever in the 1850s, jail fever, hospital fever, ship fever, putrid fever, brain fever, bilious fever, spotted fever, potential fever, camp fever. Oh, for God's sake, shouted Dobson, I have heard enough. Sorry, I didn't see you there, said little Alfonso, the memory man. I am little Alfonso, the memory man, he added. Although, of course, that is a stage name, not my real name, and as you can see, I'm preparing for a stage performance later on today, when the rains tumble from the sky and the townsfolk hereabouts will seek shelter in this our tent, as you have done, for a purpose unbeknown to me. You are staring in perplexity at my pointy triangular cap, I see. Well, I always wear it for rehearsals, for concealed within it, attached to my cranial integuments, are wires which transmit brain rays by invisible forces, thus nourishing my mental capacity and magnifying it a thousandfold. Would you like a conference pair? And the urchin took two of the said fruits from a pocket and passed one to Dobson. Bear in mind that Dobson had less than an hour to live. There has never been any suggestion that he was poisoned by the pear proffered by little Alfonso the memory man, who was, of course, the urchin Ned Blewett. If anyone had the means and wherewithal to spirit the still-living Dobson from beneath his apparent funeral shroud and to replace him with a counterfeit corpse, it was Ned, and that is why my suspicions rest on him. My investigations will continue. The next step is to ascertain if the mighty Alfonso may also have been involved. Unlike little Alfonso the memory man, the mighty Alfonso was no mere stage name. That fact alone should give us pause. And so I shall pause. Not like the doomed, or maybe not doomed, Dobson, to gobble down a conference pair, but to stretch my legs in the direction of a pie shop, to purchase a pie, and to carry it in its cardboard packaging to a shrine, where I will place it as an offering to appease the mad and terrible gods before whom I bow down on Wednesday afternoons. Thank you.
So as I was saying, um, it was when I was preparing for today's show that I got that email from Jonathan and um, it seems to have taken up most of the show, my preliminary investigations into um, whether or not Dobson, the out-of-print pamphleteer, is indeed dead or not. Um, who knows? Dobson and longevity. This is what I was going to read. Um, this is a, a series of four adventure stories featuring an exciting trio of characters. A quartet of stories. Number one. Red huts on the horizon stank of steam. Yours boil made belt more hollow. He went towards the lighthouse with paint from the hotels. Bong spoke of coast guards, anvils, butter and yaw. Belt felt sick. Bong stank of starch. Yaw had his wax. He broke up in the potters. Number two. Horses had got Bong all worn out. Belt's more furtive. He's got lawns. Yaw caught a fever. Bong yelped. Wellington boots pained him. Yaw was flawed. Belt took a closer look. Things looked black. Bong had gravy in his sack. Some of Yaw's pancakes took Bong aback. He kept on mentioning Belt behind his back. Yaw was careful with his spoon. Belt went to the kennels. Bong rang a bell. He threw up in his dinner. That made Yaw gawp. He curled up by the sails. They put Bong in prison. He was all tucked up. Yaw wrote a letter to his mother. Belt was in the pantry, helping Bong make butter. Number three. Fooling around in Didcot, Yaw found some bones. Those bones were Bong's bones. Belt's matron ate his cheese. Yaw muttered. He fell about in fits. At the waterworks, Belt broke corks. His elk was in a tent. It looked like bong. Bread rolls and snacks were stacked in crates. Yaw put them by his flask. He threw up on some rudders. And number four... Bong's belt made belts choke. Yaw coughed up. Hooks in Bong's bungalow looked like claws. But belt kept calm. Yaw disembarked from a barge. His harbour was red. Belt's was blue. He struck a match. Bong bent twine. His coat was torn. His gun was stuck. Belt's pottery had to be glued. But yours was hard. It looked like wood. Bong had said it would. Bong stank, but Belt had other irons. They raged. Bongs grew. Yaw had no irons in the fire. He kept them in his lockers. show for this week but first of all I think you ought to hear a tale of the marshes. Out in the spooky marshes at dead of night nothing stirred. 
nothing except tiny nocturnal creatures whose habitat was marsh and fen. Cock an ear and you might hear scrabblings and scurryings, fugitive wisps of sound in the otherwise eerie silence. There you sit in your concrete pillbox, a primed grenade in one hand and a mug of tomato soup in the other. The dampness of your socks is most distressing. You're distressed by the dampness of your socks in the marshes in the night. But why are you holding a hand grenade? Is this wartime? Surely in wartime you would not be fobbed off with damp socks. A bat appears near your head and you flinch. These marshes are known for their colonies of bats. Wisely, you sip your soup. It is piping hot. The air in the marshes in the night is not. And that's the end of Hooting Yard on the Air for this week. I'll be back next week with more um, material for you. Bye-bye.